Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and a warm welcome back to Wellness with Liz Earle. Maybe it is welcome back if you've just been listening to my earlier podcast with Professor Michael Baum, as this is the second half of my two-parter with the renowned breast cancer surgeon himself. Now, in our first episode, we took a deep dive into breast cancer, its causes, types and treatments. And I'm delighted that now we're going to be building on this level of knowledge to discuss breast health in general, breast cancer screening programs and why they don't work, as well as ways to improve the quality of life, health and vitality of all women, especially those in midlife and beyond. So, Professor Mike, thank you for coming back, for staying on my sofa. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy where I'm sitting. Good, I'm glad you're sitting comfortably. Let us yeah. begin. And let's start by talking about other breast health issues aside from cancer, for example, breast pain and yeah. cysts. Is there a link with these and going on to develop breast cancer? No. I'm glad you asked okay. that question. <laughs> and it's a simple no. Now, there's a lot of very frightened young women out there. Sure. I'm appalled. Uh, one of our local secondary schools invited me to come and teach their school girls how to do breast self-examination. Mm. And I said this was insane. Really? I'm Why? A teenage girl. Okay. Is that because there's going to be so many lumps and bumps? Yes. So there's no point? Yeah. Well, there are two reasons it's mm. insane. Uh, number one, um, all young women have menstrual cycles and the breasts are very active throughout the, the, the menstrual cycle and in the week before the period breasts are painful and lumpy right. usually the upper outer quadrant yeah. and so they're full of little lumps and yes. the, uh, the idea that a teenage girl should be feeling herself and then getting in a panic because she sure. finds the lump is, is absolutely ridiculous. And breast cancer under the age of 30 is extremely rare in any case. Right. And um, that aside, breast, breast self-examination doesn't work and it's not recommended. Okay, so did, why, why doesn't it work? Because it sounds logical, doesn't it? You know, mm. examine yourself, find a lump, yes. go and get treated, an early diagnosis, bingo. Exactly, catch it early, yep. save your life and yep. save the breast. Yep. Right, that's a nice hypothesis. Okay, and you're about to tell some, me something. This well, <laughs> a beautiful hypothesis, yes. and I'm now going to tell you some ugly facts. Okay, go on. So, um, and it's not just me, I'm not a maverick, incidentally. No, sure. The idea that people dismiss me as I'm a maverick, I'm mainstream here mm. there have been three very very large trials 
comparing large populations of women who've been taught breast self-examination and those who are left to nature. Left to nature, women don't go examining themselves. And then they've been added together as a super meta-analysis and been published by the Cochrane Collaboration, which is the greatest authority yes. on evidence. Yes. And the evidence is uh, breast self-examination does not have any influence on deaths from breast cancer number one and number two it's bad in that it leads to lots of false alarms and unnecessary biopsies right so women should mm. not be taught breast self-examination so when do you then worry supposing you know you're in the shower or whatever and you find a lump naturally you uh, haven't set then, out to then do... you go to the doctor and that's the next thing yes that doesn't mean if you by chance come across a lump you yeah. don't report it so right. if you come across a lump you report it now the interesting thing my whole career and I'm not making this up, I cannot remember a single woman who came to my clinic and said, uh, Professor Baum, I was doing my, my monthly examination, I came across this. Mm. They don't exist, these are unicorns. The, the, the wise woman who uh, was yes. doing a BSc came across the lump and we're, it's just a unicorn, there's no such beast. So is this because the lumps come up so quickly that they'll just, or, or you don't feel it as a, as a routine exam or is you just suddenly become <clears throat> aware of a lump? It doesn't work. Right. Why it doesn't work, I don't know. It's complex. Okay. But the, the simple is we've tested it in mm -hmm. large trials and it doesn't work. And the advice of the specialists mm. is that we shouldn't be teaching women breast self-examination. So most lumps... Uh, awareness, though. That. Right, OK. So, so yeah. when these data came out, I was actually summoned up to uh, the Department of Health by the uh, uh, minister. Mm. What are we going to tell women? Yeah. And I said, well, look, we should teach them uh, to be uh, knowledgeable. Right. So what should we be aware of then if we're not examining All right. Now, if by chance in the shower mm -hmm. you come across a lump, yep. then report it. If by chance you notice that you have a dimple, mm -hmm. like... Uh, Bathsheba or yes, the Rembrandt Hendrika, painting, the Rembrandt yeah, painting. Yeah. then you report it. Yes. And um, if you have um, developed a kind of eczema on the nipple, that's a rare form of breast cancer, which looks like eczema on mm -hmm. the nipple. And if you come across a, a swelling in your armpit, then uh, mm -hmm. you report that. Right. So that's just being aware, but mm -hmm. that isn't self-examination. No. And so if you are then aware, what would the next step be? Would you go off a, a, a biopsy? Or... No, you would go to uh, almost every uh, hospital has um, a breast unit. Mm -hmm. And when I was running the one at uh, 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 Kings and then again at uh, University College, uh, we uh, it was a, a day case. Um, mm. It was open every day. Mm -hmm. A woman could come right away, right, and all the tests were completed at one visit. So it's a one-stop yeah. shop, and there should be these one-step stop shops all over. Sure. Now the the people get this wrong. They interpret that as. Um, diagnosing breast cancer is an emergency. No, it's not. No. What's the emergency is reassuring the frightened, the well woman who is frightened. Yes, because she's got cysts. Yeah, because she's got lumpy breasts yes. or cysts. Right. And the sooner you can reassure them mm. that that's not, got, not cancer, the better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's very scary when you, you know, you do find a lump. Yeah. That's, it, it's terrible. So the majority of lumps that uh, young women will find will be <coughs> the 
cyclical changes in the breast, the lumpiness yes. and simple cysts. Right. And they can be reassured instantly. Uh, a skilled cl clinician will uh, be able to say this mm. is just menstrual changes. And a cyst is the easiest thing, the, the most pleasurable thing to diagnose. You have this frightened woman yes. with the, the, the lump. Yeah. You, you think, yes, there's a lump. You take an ultrasound scan, you pop it on the breast, it's a cyst, you then put a needle in and yeah. I say, look at the picture and you yeah. aspirate the fluid and the woman can see the lump disappearing. And that is the most gratifying yes, thing I ever do. Magic, isn't Cure it? magic. Cure. And what causes them in the first place? Because some women are very prone to cysts, aren't they? They, they um, come back and back. They, yeah, they're, they're rare, rare women, but there are rare women who get polycystic breasts mm. and uh, keep coming back. I'm not sure. We're not sure. We because mm. there's not that much research into benign breast disease because uh, it's sufficient to know because it's, it's benign. benign. Sure. It's not good, so why sure. research it anymore? What about breast pain? Breast what? pain is... Um, very common, yes, exceptionally rare as a symptom of breast cancer, right? Yes, sir. Because the lump is painful, doesn't mean it's not breast cancer, but it is by and large. If it's painful, it, it isn't breast cancer, right? So, so if, that sounds as if I contradicted myself, yeah. But, um, breast pain is a rare symptom of breast cancer, right? Okay, so yeah, non threatening, hopefully, yeah. And how best to treat. Um, usually reassurance. Right. Okay, that helps <laughs> uh, a long wonderful way, Wonderful reassurances. But yeah. if it's bad, then we get the woman to keep a diary, mm -hmm. a very simple diary with, yeah. uh, you can have smiley faces and... Uh, and sad faces. And yeah. happy and unhappy faces. <laughs> yeah. And then you see it's cyclical. And okay. if it's really bad, then you can treat it with hormones. Yes. Prola um, yeah, prolactin. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. There are drugs uh, which can treat it. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. Talking about hormones, this sort of brings me on to very neatly, I think, introduce the whole subject of hormones. Now, we've mentioned before that you had a family um, relationship, sadly, with your mother dying from breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And you have two beautiful daughters, is that right, mm -hmm. in, their, in right. their middle years. Yes. And I've come across Katie through starting Latte Lounge yes. in her mid-40s. And she was, I've read on her website in her mid-40s, successful mother of young children top of her career you know wonderful life and yet really plagued by depressive episodes and and feelings of anxiety yes and saw many GPs who just wanted to prescribe antidepressants. Yes. And you, as the breast cancer specialist, suggested that maybe HRT could help her. Yes. So why was that? Why did you make that connection? Um, I've s seen so many women suffering terribly from menopausal symptoms. And any men who happen to be listening there... You've no idea how these women are suffering because yeah. they often don't want to share it with you. Mm. And how I got to see so many of these women is um, it became a truism that uh, it would be absolutely insane to give women with breast cancer hormone replacement therapy. Clearly it's insane. Well, they thought I was a, lot, a soft touch. So there's Professor Baum, he, he might be willing. And... I was often winning because I was trading off 
the benefits that come from hormone replacement therapy. Mm. These women were suffering terribly yeah. um, with, uh, it's not just depression, it's, uh, it's, it's a sense of worthlessness yes. and they're not sleeping and, yeah. they, it's, and they feel horrid. And, oh, all the symptoms, yeah, the, the, the night, night sweats. And, and, yeah. Um, yeah. and many of these women would say, well, you know, frankly, I'm prepared to take the risk. Mm. Uh, I just want to feel better. Yeah. And, uh, and then at that time when I started doing this we were faced with we had no idea what happened if you gave HRT to women with breast cancer what would happen to the breast cancer mm. what we did know is that they would feel better within a month or two right so I thought well at least the practice of medicine there are only two outcome measures length of life and quality of life we had no idea about length of life, but quality of life, we could improve the quality of life. Mm. And faced with that decision, all these women said, I don't care. I yes. just want to improve my quality of life. Yeah. So that's how I got into the subject. And then uh, as a result of getting into the subject, I studied it intensely and mm. um, and um, concluded, uh, along with many other uh, specialists, that mm. Uh, there is no evidence that HRT is linked to breast cancer. No. Now, no. that may sound heretical on, well, on well, the Well, not radio. to me, but, but, but certainly to some listeners it might. So Yes, so, so, yes. and the, why, why the heresy? Mm. OK, um, let's start with the evidence that oestrogen um, uh, cause cancer. Mm. You can start with George Beetson in 1894, a surgeon in Glasgow, he did the first castrations for breast cancer, advanced breast cancer. And he did nine cases, and three of them had dramatic responses. So clearly withdrawing estrogen and the cancer uh, disappeared. So what, what did he take away then? The ovaries. He took away the ovaries. Okay, yes. so you can talk about female castration. That's removal of the ovaries, is it? Yes. Oh, okay. oh I, sorry. Oh, I right. thought it was only a male oh, thing. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, right, okay, okay. No. Interesting. So, um, removing the ophorectomy. Ophorectomy, so okay. So politely ophorectomy right. for women, castration yep. for men. Okay. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. we agree on so that. He, so he did that. So he took yeah. away some and, and, and in three cases. Yeah, and the rationale, if I've gone back and read all the original papers, the rationale for it was utterly absurd. It's something to do with lactation and cows and, in Australia. I can't even <laughs> remember the rationale for it. But this absurd rationale, he got lucky and he showed castration. Yes. Uh, of course, it uh, reduces the risk of breast cancer. So ergo, estrogen causes breast cancer. And that's the basis of it? That's how it started. Okay. Now, so where did it go from there? Well, then you have to look at the other evidence that mm. counters that. Um, when I first qualified, long before we had tamoxifen, if we were treating postmenopausal women with advanced breast cancer, we would give them estrogen. You'd give them estrogen? Give them estrogen. And the rationale for that as well was bizarre, but it worked. Right. So... On the one hand, removing the ovaries would cause a response and giving estrogen would give a cause a response. An equal response? Yeah, roughly. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, so either works. Uh, yeah, and then an anecdote. I 
when I was working in Cardiff, I had a woman with advanced breast cancer and I discovered she'd been on HRT for 25 years. So I stopped it and the tumour went away. Mm. So there you are, reinforcing the message yeah. that estrogens cause cancer. And of course, as well-known fact, tamoxifen is an anti-estrogen and that's one of the best drugs. Well, it's not. It's so that we've so just discussed earlier that it's, it's not, not an anti-estrogen, it's, anti it's an estrogen. It is an estrogen, so it's supplying estrogen is yeah. keeping your breast cancer it's, at bay. Yeah, so, and... The other paradox is the incidence of breast cancer is greater the older you get. Yes. So the older you get, the less estrogen. Of course. It's, uh, you know, it's, Your estrogen declines and yet breast cancer it's increases. It becomes more common. So do we need more estrogen then to stop ourselves getting <laughs> breast cancer? <laughs> And do we? Uh, this is well, the, I'll come to that in a minute. Uh, um, the 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 other thing, the highest levels of estrogen are during pregnancy. So ergo, if a woman with breast cancer is pregnant, it'll get worse. Except it doesn't. <sighs> so it doesn't. We now know, and there have been studies, good evidence, that allowing pregnancy to go full term mm. with a woman with breast cancer makes no difference whatsoever. Really? Okay. What does all this mean? Well, again, for every complex problem, there's a simple solution, and it's wrong. <laughs> and... What we're dealing with here is uh, exquisite sensitivity to initial conditions. Now, here I'm back to um, chaos theory. It's complex. And the best analogy I can give you is the thermostat in my house. My wife is always freezing cold unless the thermostat is set at 23 degrees, mm. where I am very uncomfortable. <laughs> I turn it down every time I walk past the thermostat. Yes, I turn it down, it down to 22. <laughs> and I'm comfortable and she's freezing. Right. right. So, just, I mean, that's true. Yeah, I can relate to that. You can relate <laughs> to that. Well, think about the breast cancer. At the point at which it initiated, it was in an environment that suited it. I see. And it may have been a high estrogen environment or a low estrogen environment. Interesting. So we now talk about an estrostat. Ooh, I like that. Like a thermostat, <laughs> an, an estrostat. An estrostat. Now, I didn't invent that term. Professor Mitch Dowsett at the Institute of Cancer Research at Royal Marks and Hospital, he came up with that. And mm. I, I phoned him up. I was writing this book mm, mm. and I called him. I said, Mitch, has anything <laughs> moved on? Yes. And he said, no, it's still the estrostat. And we, so we're not sure why, but if you think in terms of a chaotic system, which is always exquisitely sensitive to initial conditions, something about the environment of that cancer mm. at the point it was established, uh, it would either want a rich or a poor uh, yes. environment in Asia. But to say... Estrogen causes breast cancer is wrong. No. And then coming on to hormone replacement therapy, yes. we now know estrogen replacement therapy. Watch my lips, ladies, if you're listening to yes. this. Unfortunately, you can't watch my lips, but <laughs> listen to every word I say. Estrogen replacement therapy. I'm not talking about hormone replacement yes. therapy, which is progesterone and estrogen. Yes. Estrogen replacement therapy reduces the risk of breast cancer. Yeah. And that, that comes from a number of sources. The most important source is the Women's Health Initiative trial, yes. which was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2017. 
long-term follow-up of women yeah. on HRT, not showed that was the case. Now, interesting that you mentioned the Women's Health Initiative because their earlier work, published in 2002, was was misinterpreted but seemed to suggest yes. the opposite. Um, one study... One study, yeah. Um, damaged women's health in almost irreparable ways and yeah. we, I would never forgive them for what yeah. they've done. Yeah. I mean, uh, a number of the authors have come out and publicly apologised. Oh, yes, some of the authors. But yeah. the, the problem is the paper was not written by the authors. No. Now, that seems... A, the paper <sighs> itself was written by bureaucrats. The people who were running the trial mm. um, were... The, um, were not the data was taken from them, and bureaucrats of the federal at the um, National Institute of Health took over and wrote the paper on a random high. That's shocking, and it is shocking. The global damage to women's health, yeah, has and been immediately, um, yeah. and yet when the paper, well, the long-term follow-up, and the original uh, uh, team that were running the trial then analysed it and showed the initial publications were wrong. Yeah. wrong and if anyone wants doesn't believe me and wants to read the whole story mm. you must read Avram Blooming's book yeah estrogen matters absolutely I've, I've mentioned it in my magazine I've mm. linked to it before I think it's it's fascinating it's a sorry sad story isn't it shocking it's heartbreaking yeah. but maybe people will be sued and maybe there'll be some court cases coming up out of it I don't know because it's so misrepresentative yeah I and so know. damaging and and you just feel for those women I'm, I'm very fortunate I'm in my mm my mid-50s and I'm lucky that you know and I've been informed yeah. but I think of women you know who are you know 10 years older than me and I know there have been people in the media like Kirsty Walk for example at Newsnight yeah. and she did a documentary for BBC because she was one of those caught up in that who was immediately mm. taken off HRT when that study was misreported um, and now uh, she's uh, got osteoporotic hips you yeah. know she's had a hip replacement that's right I know that I know her mm. uh, to your listeners mm. um I'm sitting next to a young lady who can't be more than 35. Uh, have you got your glasses? Insists <laughs> that she's 54, so I 55. need glasses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, genuinely. I mean, and what's been very interesting for me in, in my work and how we connected um, through me, you know, following your research and through coming across your daughter, Katie, and, and putting two and two together there, is realising that as women we run on oestrogen. It's it's the fuel in our tanks. Well, it's... For it's, everything. Look, the health and vitality. The, the analogy. Let me give you the, a very, very good analogy. Mm. If your thyroid stops working, and you yeah. you um, need thyroxine, you have thyroxine. Yeah. So if if you, you become mixedematous because your thyroid shuts down, you feel dreadful and slow and sleepy and mm. all that. You give the patient thyroxine, and she comes back to life. He or she yeah. comes back to life. Yeah. Now, if you've got ovarian failure lack of estrogen well seems obvious you give the missing hormone yes. and uh, oh, it, it, I mean it, it's very complicated and, and there are lots of women who will say we're medicalizing the menopause by by prescribing hormones or well, would you say we're medicalizing myxedema Yes, by giving thyroxine. Giving thyroxine. Or medicalising diabetes by giving... Giving insulin, insulin. or medicalising uh, adrenal failure by giving cortisone. Yeah. No, we're not. We're replacing a missing hormone. Yes. And, of course, so many women are, are so happy to take the contraceptive pill 
for so many years, which yeah. isn't even replacing. It's completely working against yeah. the, the, the way the body should work. That, so coming back to your daughter, Katie, yes. she was in her mid-40s and not having hot flushes, you know, still having periods, not yeah. classically the kind of menopausal woman that we think about. And obviously you've explained that even with a history of breast cancer in your family, you had mm. no hesitation in... I had no, no, I had no hesitation in recommending yes. that she saw a specialist in this. Yeah. I would never treat a member of the family. No, no, but but because for her your to go, judgment is impaired. Yeah, yeah. I said, I, uh, Katie, I really think you've got a premature menopause. Many of your problems, I think, are menopause. And was she surprised by that? Yes, and so I said, please go and see uh, an expert in hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. And uh, within a month, she was my daughter back. Ah, that's so fascinating, isn't it? So very, very gratifying. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So ultimately then, what is your message to the many women who will no doubt be listening who are either actively being treated for breast cancer or who have a past history of breast cancer or who have had family relatives close family members maybe mothers sisters with breast cancer who are considering hrt or have been told that they can't have it what would you say all right first of all any doctor who said you can't have it should be challenged you right. should ask for a second opinion mm-hmm. Uh, And the second opinion should be a specialist in hormone replacement therapy. And they're coming up. It's become a speciality. Yes, more and more, hopefully. Women's health and endocrine problems is a speciality. Mm. And they should uh, see see someone like that. 
And uh, that's number one. And number two, in the end, it's your decision. You should be given the uh, estimate of benefit and estimate of risk. And you make the judgment mm. uh, comparing quality of life with the prob other problems. Because you're the one living with the symptoms. You're living with you? it. But life. it goes beyond the mm. symptoms of the menopause. Mm -hmm. There's a very important issue of osteoporosis. Yes. There is only one treatment to prevent osteoporosis, and that's estrogen. Forget about all the other. <laughs> yes, the biphosphonates and all, all, all the others. All the other, and the quack stuff that's yes. out there. So you feel it, that strongly about it, for, in terms of bone health and bone density? Bone, bone health. The estrogen is, without doubt, the best treatment to, to protect the, the skeleton mm -hmm. and, uh, and to treat the skeleton. Do you have to start that young? Is there a case for starting HRT earlier <coughs> than for well, bone health? Well, it, it depends on the family history. If you've got a bad family history, then you should... Of, of osteoporosis. Of osteoporosis yeah, and yeah. fractures. And, uh, and you have to remember it's a common cause of death. Yes, it's one of the commonest. Yeah. It's a, a more common cause of death than breast cancer. Right, but we don't talk about it. This is the most extraordinary thing, isn't it? Breast cancer seems to get the headlines, well, and yet, but when you look at cause of death in women: coronary heart disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease, yeah. uh, fractures from osteoporosis, uh, lung disease. Yeah, Dementia's top. Is it really? Dementia's top. You wouldn't see that. I mean, I'm sure if you went out into the street and said to most women, what's the most common cause of, of death for, for, mm. for women, they would say, oh, breast cancer. Breast cancer is, I think, eighth in the league. Dementia is top in the league. And there was mm. um, a paper that I, I, think, I can't remember where it was. I think it was in the B&J mm. uh, saying that um, about alcohol yes. and breast cancer. Yes. And, and I'm thinking that there's a 20% relative risk increase for drinking alcohol. Well, that's an extra one per thousand developing breast cancer. One per thousand? Why are they even reporting? I mean, a statistic of one per thousand. Would you bet on one per thousand? I no. Wouldn't. I mean, that's... But at the same time, having modest amount of alcohol protects you from dementia. Right. So the very yes. thing that will protect you from the dementia, which is the commonest cause of death for women, is being denied for fear of breast cancer. Uh, just you're mad. Yeah, just, <laughs> it does mad, so I mean, it? just just remember what you said. The yes. league table, the top yes. of the league table, is dementia, right. and then uh, cardiovascular disease, mm. then cerebrovascular disease, mm. and then I think pulmonary disease, and right. then osteoporotic fractures. Gosh. And I I think breast cancer is sixth or seventh in yes. the league now. Yes. I don't want to trivialise it. No, 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 of course I've, not. I've earned my living dealing with it. Yes, not no, no, I mean, living, any but... form of, of <laughs> devastating diagnosis is, yeah. is just so that. So we have but... to think about the totality mm. of women's How best health. to get good health care. Good health yeah. care yeah, for overall. women in its totality. Mm -hmm. Women are much more than the sum of their two breasts. Yes, Indeed. You can quote me on that. <laughs> I most certainly will. And talking about the sum of our two breasts, I think leads us neatly on to the screening of breasts. Yes. Now you were one of the chief pioneers of breast cancer screening, setting well, it up. Well, I set it up. I mean, it's self-evident, isn't it? Catch it early, save a life and yeah, save a breast. Yes. And then you spent a long time trying to dismantle your, your baby. Uh, yeah. So why, why the about time? Right. Well, in 1987, uh, Professor Sir Patrick Forrest uh, published a, uh, a booklet about the benefits of screening. There have been a few studies 
and he himself, um, in retrospect, was a bit doubtful. He thought it was prematurely published, but he was pressurised to publish it by Margaret Thatcher. Mm. Uh, and he, Why? Because she wanted political. some good news. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> for political reasons. So uh, he um, was a bit unsure whether or not to publish. He thought it was premature. Mm. And we now know it was very, very premature. But in 1987, I was persuaded that uh, with the, the best evidence available, this was the right way to go ahead. And I was given the task of setting up one of the first three units in the country. This is when I was professor at King's, and um, myself, the head of radiology, the head of public uh, health, the three of us, each of whom had uh, full-time jobs, worked day and night to get the uh, the first screening centre open within mm. 12 months, Gosh. on and budget, on time. And that was mammograms, was it? Screening, Screening with, by with, mammograms, with mammograms. Inviting okay. women over the age of 55, I think, then. Mm -hmm. uh, screening mammography. Yeah. So I <clears throat> I would obviously hope that this would be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Within seven years, I was watching very carefully all the new data as it appeared, and then I began to realise this is not what it's cracked up to be. And I remember... Um, a very cross meeting, some more bad day to emerge and the uh, the head of the NHS screening programme summoned a meeting urgently, what should we do about this bad information? And uh, <laughs> they wanted to bury it uh, oh because they were concerned that if we uh, the women became aware of this, it would reduce the 70% target. So we had to have a target of 70% take-up. Oh. And so any bad news would um, uh, reduce the number. We wouldn't meet our... The target of target number being of screened, not yeah. the target of number of women being helped. No, no. So I, I resigned from the committee. I said I can't be party to that. And I published a letter, a long letter in The Lancet, explaining why I thought this was a bad idea. Mm. But since then... There was, uh, the data has become worse and worse and worse. The estimates of benefit were grossly overestimated. Benefit as in uh, breast cancer deaths pre prevented. Mm. But none of the data, even at the time, uh, it was thought there was no data whatsoever that breast cancer screening reduces mortality or cause deaths. There was a modest effect on breast cancer deaths. No impact on all cause deaths and all the new data that's been put together by Cochrane, the mm -hmm. national international um, gold standard yeah. can find no evidence of benefit on all cause mortality so you cannot say that breast screening saves lives now people will say well that's absurd yes because uh, it has an impact on breast cancer mortality well, some of my work, which was published in the BMJ, was looking at the issue of overdiagnosis. We now know that about 30% of breast cancers, which are diagnosed at screening, would never progress to be a life-threatening condition. So these are called overdiagnosed cases. So this is where you go and you have a routine mammography and you get called back and you <coughs> say, we found a lump, you need to come back, have it investigated. Well, we found duct carcinoma in situ, Okay. Suddenly, 
what was a very rare finding, 1% of all cancers with duct carcinoma in situ, suddenly it's 20%. Right, so the the increase in rate of breast cancer is because more are being found through It's an artefact of screening by over They've already been there. They've been there in situ and would have, what, sat quite happily there <coughs> for a long time then. Now, the evidence that there is massive overdiagnosis is, OK, screening theory, catch it early, prevent it progressing. Mm-hmm. So 20% of cases are now in situ, not even invasive, we immediately expect a fall in the incidence of early invasive cancers. Yes. But we don't. We get a rise in what? the... Uh, y- yes. <sighs> So what 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 this means again? I'm not a maverick. It's out no, there. Just okay. read the journals, yes. New England Journal of Medicine. Yep. It, what happens once you screen? The incidence of duct carcinoma situ shoots up from one percent to twenty uh, percent, mm-hmm. and the incidence of very small invasive cancers also goes up by about ten percent. And there is no impact on the more advanced stages of disease. Screening theory says catch it early, save a lie. Mm. What it means is catching it early has no meaning at all. What it is is you're catching pathology which is not programmed to progress. Right, so it would now, never kill you never anyway, kill you. right? But the treatment can kill you. Right, Rarely, that's the danger. Surgery, radiotherapy, yeah. chemotherapy have toxicity. Sure. And we know that radiotherapy increases the risk of cardiovascular disease, Mm -hmm. uh, heart attacks, and even lung cancer. Rare, but it's there. And I did the sums and published them in the British Medical Journal, Mm -hmm. which showed for every breast cancer death avoided, there was one excess death for the over-treatment of over-diagnosed cases. So it's a zero-sum game. Yes. So, and think of all the women's health issues that we Mm. could be dealing with Mm -hmm. using that money, Mm -hmm. £100 million a year at the last count, in an activity which is futile. Yeah, and the panic caused when you have to have cancer treatment for something we've that's talked not about length of life the issue also what about quality of life didn't Can you it? didn't you put coin that expression qol quality of life as as, as a sort of as a data mm. oh well uh, certainly been a, a big me, oh, measuring quality of life measuring quality of yes life. well that was one of, yeah we came up with the first psychometric instrument for measuring quality of life mm. now there's uh, it's, it's all everyone measures quality of life <laughs> i mean got a wonderful quality of life at this moment talking to yeah. you it's about <laughs> nine out of ten marvelous if i had a glass of whiskey it'd be ten <laughs> out of ten <laughs> yeah but that. the idea is save a life and save your breasts mm. but you don't save your breasts the yeah. incidence of mastectomy in a population being screened goes up it doesn't go down yeah and the reason for that is these cases that don't cast them in situ most of which would never progress are multifocal that means scattered around the breast, so you have to have a mastectomy. So, what would you say then if you know one of your daughters uh, had a mammogram? Or maybe you'd say, "Don't go for mammograms." But if she did and, and came up with one of these non-invasive, I wouldn't mammograms. know what to say. First of all, they uh, they know what I think about screening, so it's unlikely they'd accept screening. Mm. Um, but if they did, then the consequences of that you would have, have to, to be left to someone else. I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. take responsibility yeah. for next of kin or close, close family. Sure. So is it a question, are you kind of saying ignorance is bliss? 
I'm saying um, that we should de-implement screening. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I was invited last August. There was a, a big international meeting in Copenhagen uh, about too much medicine. Mm. And I was invited to give the plenary lecture on the de-implementation of screening. Mm. And I started off by talking about the book Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Mm -hmm. uh, something that is self-evident isn't necessarily true. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> um, if a bat and a ball cost $1.10 and uh, the bat costs, uh, is uh, $1 more expensive than the ball, how much is the ball? <laughs> Is the ball 10 cents? Is this a trick yeah, question? Well, <laughs> yes, but then the difference is uh, it's 90 cents, not a dollar. So everyone thinks Got fast. You. And Got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in fact, the answer is 5 cents. So it's $1.05 versus 5 cents. Oh so, my goodness! No, but the, <laughs> yeah. no, that's thinking fast and thinking slow. Yeah, yeah. So, it's so um, easy to come the, out with a fast answer. Yeah, that's the problem with screening. It seems yeah. so self-evident, yes. intuitive that yes. it must be good. Yeah. But you have to think deeper. Yeah. And um, also look at the data. Apart thinking deeper. Yeah. And in the end, I concluded there is very little chance of de-implementation of screening because mm. of the political uh, outcome. That is quite shocking, isn't it, that so much of healthcare is, is being governed by targets yes. and, and poor headlines. And again, it comes back to the media, you know, making or breaking politicians' lives and re-elections and all the rest of it on, you know, whether they've been beaten yeah. over the head because they haven't achieved target. Well, maybe that target was the wrong target in the first place. Exactly. Can I just reiterate something again mm. for your listeners? I'm not a maverick. The screening zealots <laughs> say, dismiss me. Oh, do they really? Yeah, but, well, he keeps saying that, and I, yeah, yes, I do. But repeating the truth doesn't dilute the truth. No, you're quite right. <laughs> I'm in the company of all the top medical journals in, in the world uh, about screening. I'm not the maverick. Mm. It's the people with conflict of interest out mm. there who either will not or cannot see the fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. So, bottom line, should I be going for mammograms? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> That's the simple answer. That's the simple answer. Uh, I don't recommend it. Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. But be very aware. Aware and, to dimpling uh, and breast changes. Yes, and... be aware. If mm. by chance you come across something, yeah. uh, then... Uh, report it but it's not an emergency no remember these most of these cancers are quiescent for long periods of time mm. and the overdiagnosed cases uh, will be quiescent for the whole of your life gosh the gosh, idea gosh. that cancers relentlessly grow and grow is based on an obsolete mathematical model of linear mathematics mm. when right from the beginning I said you can only understand breast cancer if you think in non-linear terms we're dealing with chaotic systems yeah. not linear systems yeah. how do the cancer charities view you uh, with despair and hostility do they? <laughs> they, they hate me yeah I mean, you, really, you are they, really. I mean, you say you're not a maverick, 
maybe it's because you're one of the few senior medics who is prepared to to be outspoken i'm outspoken yes okay yes i'm outspoken but uh, cancer care and all the cancer charities mm. i mean uh, the breast cancer charities mm. what are they promoting what have they got to promote yes what they yeah. should be promoting is any funds we raise should go to research Yes. They should not. It's not their business to promote screening. No. That's all they do. Mm. Pretty mm. and Pink. Well, you know, the mm. Pink campaign. It's, yeah, all uh, about screening and should be research. Yeah. Um, and, and joined up. I mean, do the big organisations talk to each other? Is there a lot of sharing of data? No. I mean, they, they all live in silos. Yeah, single that's a tragedy, issue, isn't it? Single issue fanaticism. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can only really work if if you are you know, working as a whole, you, holistically. Yeah, we're talking about the totality of women's health, mm. not single issues. Mm. That's, that's talking it. about holistic treatment, I'm going to draw this to a near end by introducing a slightly different topic, mm. one of which you're also very outspoken, and we may not agree, but we'll see. Um, alternative medicine. You're very outspoken, yes. aren't you, anti-alternative medicine, but not mm. so much complementary medicine. No. So what's well, your... first of all, there's no such thing as alternative medicine. Okay, great. Right. Let, let's there's talk medicine, about this. There's <laughs> medicine. Yeah. And there's not medicine. Okay. So, so it's non-medicine. Yeah. Or, or I mean, the, the, the first thing to understand is there's no conspiracy the medical establishment to deny patients treatments work. Okay. If it works, we use it. Yes. So anything that's alternative doesn't actually work. Because it's, it's the alternative to what's working. To what works. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, uh, yeah, I, I see your logic. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's very logical. Now, uh, you mentioned complementary uh, therapy. Yes, mm. anything that complements the work of the doctor, yeah, then is good. It, any uh, the simply making the patient feel better, mm. whilst the doctors try and make the patient get better. Yeah. And I would also put the. Um, um, religion in there, the faith, mm. uh, faith mm. in there. Uh, there's a spiritual dimension. Mm. So for women, for patients who um, are believers and belong to mm. a, a faith, then uh, cons uh, being consoled by their faith and mm. prayer and their community is a valuable complement to what we, mm. the doctors, are doing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Counselling, uh, massage, um, yeah. Anything that makes you feel better, yeah, whilst producing the endorphins and yeah, all that stuff's great. Yeah, yeah. But you draw a line at things like homeopathy. Oh come off it! <laughs> <laughs> homeopathy is not, it's not even a, um, a medicine of any kind. It's no, I, I, I only said it. Well, you said it's nothing. But it's I, nothing. I am I am a farmer. Okay. And my sheep get treated with mm. homeopathy. And, I, you know, I'm very much on the fence about this. Um, but I do see them. Maybe it's just endless cases of spontaneous remission, but they do get better. <laughs> do, you, do you know what is homeopathy? I well, mean, it's diluted, isn't it? So, so there's there, so nothing there. That there's almost nothing. Or no, there's no. a sort of molecular imprint, isn't there's there? Nothing. Or a, there is or a no, shadow. There's or nothing. A, what about, what about the intention, you know, the intention behind things? I mean, no, that's right. sort of esoteric. All right, there's a, a placebo effect if you've got a nice, kind person. But my sheep don't understand placebo. Oh, yes, they do. They don't. They've got no, they, they've got no idea what's in their water, whether I put a few no, drops of something in it or not. They, they are sensitive to you. 
I, I oh, hope interesting. You, I okay. hope you treat your sheep like you treat your yeah. friends. So they're picking up on my vibes, oh, being very caring, yes, and I'm yes, giving you something yes, nurturing. Yes, yeah. That is very interesting. <laughs> well, we'll have to have another discussion maybe on that. <laughs> another time. That's another round. But I think, <laughs> to sum up, what I think what, what we do definitely agree on is that joyful living is what it's all about and increasing our life expectancy yes. and our quality of life. Mm. However, we can achieve that. Yeah, joyful living. I like that expression. Yeah. And uh, no one would deny me my whiskey, and no one would die, deny you your good wine. Certainly it's all not. part of it living is joyfully. All part of joyful living. And on mm. that positive note, I would like to extend the hugest thank you, Professor Bam, for giving up so much of your time to come and chat. We really do appreciate it. You have shared your knowledge so freely and your expertise so generously. Thank you. And that really is all we have time for today. But don't forget, we will put the notes from this episode up on lizardwellbeing.com and you will also find further resources and the chance to sign up for our free weekly newsletter, which comes to your inbox every Friday, should you wish. So until the next time we chat, go well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.